This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. Again, I am in Belfast recording this. Um, it's very cold, but very beautiful. And you're here. Thanks so much for downloading, subscribing, and tuning in. Um, what a year it's been. Um, we started this with a few listeners, and now we've got more than a few. Um, thanks so much for your comments. So chuffed. It's all connecting with you. And I think this week is going to be no exception. It's episode 23. It's with the brilliant, honest, very lovely Rebecca Callard. Um, We'd been chatting, trying to make dates work, and we did. And I'm thrilled. Um, Shuffed a bit, she came on. Uh, She's very honest, very open. And, yeah, it's another brilliant episode. Really hope you enjoy it. This is episode 23 with Rebecca Callard, and I shall see you at the end. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm nervous now. I don't know why I've gone ridiculously nervous. Why are you nervous? Do you want to pour your tea? Yes. I don't know whether it's brewed for long enough. I think it's been enough for about 10 minutes. You'll be grand. That is not long enough. Isn't it? <laughs> no. what, do you know how long? I'm from Yorkshire. That's not, and I've got two spoons. Is that a Yorkshire thing? You always yeah. have two spoons to yeah. stay too. <laughs> You're waiting for me to say something. This is perfect. I'm not waiting for you to say something. I'm, sound, to, I'm waiting for you to bite. finish that. Oh, sorry. There's no rush, don't worry. Right, I'm good. You should be forever known as Two Spoon. Two Spoon, spoon two, two Spoons Callard. <laughs> Who's coming around for a brew? Two Spoons, she's coming around. Um, how are you? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah, I'm good. I've been up um, most of the night. Kids? Kids, son's 10th birthday today. Oh, so I'm mega excited. Mega excited. I was awake before him. I've got insomnia. I think I told you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did that start? 12 years ago. Really? Yeah, I'm actually seeing a sleep therapist at the moment, which is sort of changing things. So I'm getting a bit more sleep. How come it's taken so long to... 
for me to... To seek a sleep therapist. Um, I just thought it was how it was. So I've gone through fads of trying to change it. So I've given up caffeine, I've given up sugar, I've taken everything out of my bedroom, I've changed my bedroom around, I've changed my pillows. Um, everything there is to do, you name it, I've done it. Um, and then I think it was a few weeks ago, I was just like beside myself with exhaustion. And I was like, I just can't get through the day. And then my boyfriend rang the sleep therapist and I went to see her. And she's round the corner from my house, which is weird. Yeah. And she's, um, yeah, she's, it's, it's definitely changing. I've definitely slept better. I had two nights two weeks ago where I slept through without waking up. And how long has it been since you've done a full night's sleep? Without waking up? Yeah. I can't even remember. So would there be a pattern to it? Would you say, say let's say you went to bed at, I don't know, 11. Would you wake up at 1? Or... Yeah. So I'll, I'm absolutely knackered when I go to bed, so I'm out. I get probably about an hour and a half, and then throughout the night, I'm either awake for a few hours. But when I wake up, it's as if my whole body is just like, bing, ready to go. So she thinks, this lady thinks that I've just got really bad habits, and there's other stuff going on as well in there, but, <clears throat> yeah. Do so. you think, did it, did it come from stress or worry? Was there an initial spark which started it sort of 12 years ago? Pregnancy. Oh, but so you couldn't I, sleep when you were pregnant? Yeah, so I got chronic insomnia when I was pregnant with my first son. And then and then obviously didn't sleep because he didn't sleep. And then with my second son, I was pregnant 15 months after the first son was born. So I was pregnant again, so right. pretty much straight away. And then I had pregnancy insomnia again. My second son slept better. But since then, I've not really slept. And I, I mean, I've, I've, there's been nights where, a lot of nights where I just don't sleep at all. And I think it's starting to catch up with me now. I was going to say, I mean... Physically as well, like, I was watching myself in something on telly the other night and I was like, oh, my goodness, I look like a mole. Like, I could barely open my eyes. I was going to say, it's got to manifest itself in somewhere because I know what it's like when, you know, say you have jet lag and it just absolutely messes everything up. For It depends on where you're going. Like, for, yeah. I was working in Malaysia a couple of years ago and it took me a full two weeks to sort of get a good night's sleep and I'm not the best of time I, I don't get if I go I'll go deep but I'm alright if I have I can have five or six hours and I'm alright happy days whereas my wife needs a good solid eight hours yeah and if she doesn't get that then oh my god she's she not, cranky she, well not just cranky but everything she's not just right she just needs a sleep and I think sometimes we all we don't need our sleep so how are you if you weren't well I'm so day? used to it now that I can cope with it, and I've got boundless energy. I was going to say, because you are, I've always thought you are quite an energetic person. Yeah, and that's not going... I mean, if I've had, like, four weeks with hardly any sleep at all, my body sort of almost, like, will have one decent night's sleep to to re-sort of vitalise me, and then then I go back into not sleeping. But I I don't need a lot of sleep. And I think I was talking to my sleep therapist the other day and she was like, you know, Margaret Thatcher didn't need a lot of sleep. And I was like, yeah, but look what happened to her. (laughs) (laughs) And please don't uh, compare me to Margaret Thatcher. I would never, ever do that. It's the second (laughs) time Margaret Thatcher's been brought up on this podcast. Really? I should know this because I listen to all of them. It hasn't come out yet. We haven't haven't released it yet. You know that you've done three of my best friends? I I don't mean to say it like that. No, 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 go on. (laughs) Michael Smiley. Michael Smiley. Amanda Abington. Tick. Andrew Sheridan. Tick. And in fact, Andrew Sheridan's podcast was out last week. So by the time this comes out, oh. I thought I would link the two, which we'll get on to later. Oh, okay. ah. mm. Tell me about Pudsey. Pudsey 
Because um, that's why people, if people don't know where it is, tell them where it is. Pudsey is, is it, is Leeds, Leeds. Just, just outside Leeds though, I think. I should really know, this is terrible. Griff, just outside Leeds? Yeah. There yeah. we go. Yeah. What was it like growing up there? Um, well, I went to school in Bramley, mm. which was a couple of bus rides away from there. Um, Pudsey was nice, Pudsey's really pretty. Is it? Yeah. Um, I didn't really, oh, I didn't really like school. Was it just you and your family, by the way, or brothers and sisters? So, it was just, so my mum's been married four times. Right. Right. So, um, it was, my mum was married very young to my biological father. Um, I think they got married when she was 16. She had me at 17, just turning 18. Then they split up pretty quickly when I was 18 months old. My mum remarried when I was five, um to uh, the antithesis of my biological father. He's a teetotal, um, big lefty, kind right. of major hippie, vegetarian. Um, taught me a lot about Karl Marx. And I used to wear a Bread Not Bombs badge and things like that. Nice. And, um, so she was married to him. He was like a big influence on my life did in many have, ways. Sorry to interrupt. Did you have any relationship with your biological father No, at not this at point? all. He wasn't interested at all, and made that clear. Told my mum that as well. I met him when I was twenty-one. He called me. You when... didn't meet him until you were twenty-one. No, he called me when I was eighteen. Um, I think I just—I was at the West Yorkshire Playhouse doing a play, and I just had the half. And then there was a on the Tannoy, Rekkelard come to a stage door, and then there was this fella on the phone, and it was my biological father um, saying, "I want to meet you." So I did. It took me a couple of years to decide to meet him. I love I your bet. facial. I, mean, I just, did not expect this. Well, it's just like what it's taken you. I mean, not everybody goes through their own personal shit, and I'm not one to judge, and I'm not here to do that. But it's ta- it took him 21 years. 18. It Eight, took, 18, yeah. and you were 20, yeah. you were 21. Oh, my God. Who knows? I mean, maybe he was so nervous about approaching it or broaching it. I, I, it... If you don't want to talk about this, it's absolutely fine. No, I'm way. fine with it. Okay. I don't mind. I really don't mind. So it took you a couple of years to decide whether you wanted to meet him. Yeah, and so I did. <clears throat> and uh, it didn't go particularly well, which I won't go into. But he, again, wasn't interested in me at all. I think he sort of, yeah, wanted to see my mum again, maybe. Well, there's a lot of... God, there'd be a lot of questions there. Why would he get in contact after all that time to once again dismiss any sort of uh, relationship or... Anyway... Right, so, so. <laughs> let's go back to your husband, uh, your uh, mum's new husband. Yes, David. David. So he, yes. So Good she, influence. Amazing influence, politically, um, morally. I'm actually, I lost touch with him for, um, for quite some time, actually. He moved to Singapore, but we are now back in touch. And he has been uh, a constant in my son's... Uh, I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. He's been a constant in their life. So I managed to get back in touch with him when I was pregnant with Sonny, who is my oldest. We'd lost touch. He'd moved to Singapore. Um, I sort of discovered since since he went that he was kind of broken-hearted about not having any contact with me. At what age did... How old were you when your mum and David split up? 13. Right, OK. So he'd had a good bulk of my early years. So he really was a father figure to yeah. you at that point. and he yeah. adopted me as well. Right, OK. So, and then he moved off. He moved away and... Because um, then my mum married again and had my brother. And so that we were a unit, I guess, then. And 
and yeah, I lost touch with him. And um, I think there were there was some letters sent, but they were misplaced. Right. Um, and then I found out from a from someone that he'd sent a letter quite recently. And when I was twenty nine and pregnant with Sonny, I just thought it was the time to to get in touch with him because I really missed him. And course, as yeah. you get older as well, you sort of things really dawn on you, don't they? Sort of things just occur to you that hadn't when you were a kid. And then suddenly, as you're getting to an age, people were when they had you and they. Especially when children come in, yeah, into exactly. your life. I mean, your whole... Everything changes, your process changes, yeah, your, your mind changes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I sent... So I Googled his name and Googled um, that he was a teacher. He was... Um, he, he is still... Actually, he's just retired now, but... Um, and I Googled his name and I found an email, a random email address, and I just emailed it saying, um, I know you've been trying to get in touch with me. I'm pregnant. Um, I'd love to see you again. And um, his, wi- his wife told me that he, when he received the email, he skipped into the apartment and was crying with joy and was like, oh I've heard from God. Rebecca. And, and then he came over yeah. a couple of months later. Had you he, had your son at this point? Uh, no, I was pregnant. So he's been massively involved in, for, for them, he has been, for, you know, for me, he was out of my life for a few years, but for, the, for my sons, he's been there, you know, as I say, a constant. So that's been really amazing. He lives in Australia now. And we are supposed to go and visit him, but I'm going to get a spider, so... <laughs> oh. I'll take my son with you. He loves, he loves spiders. Does he? He's dying to go to Australia. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I'll take him. <laughs> I said I'm not going. <laughs> That's a really silly reason not to want to go to Australia, isn't it? No, I don't think so. We've seen the size of them. I mean, they're enormous. A, a very old friend of mine, actually, um, moved her husband... Works in sports, who does different, uh, do, do the golf. Um, I don't really understand sports, but you do things with uh, tournaments of golf and basketball, and, all, and they ended up moving to Australia. And she says, the, yeah, the size of the spiders are. You see, I wouldn't move there because of that. <laughs> He's really Even terrified. if I had all the money in the world. Maybe that's why you're not sleeping. Maybe. Thinking about the spiders. My old, uh, really good friend of mine that suffered from insomnia for a good good spell, actually. And he, he's, you know, he's an actor and a, a musician as well, but he used to get up and write music, and then all of a sudden he'd realised that he'd sort of you know been writing for nine hours and he'd wrote an album. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, was, so it, was it phenomenal stuff? It was really good stuff. He actually wrote um, one album, which was I think it was called Music for Insomniacs. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've I've done some writing um, when I've been awake in the night and stuff. And how's that pieces of writing when you look back on it? You know, if you give it. It's a bit manic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit absurd. It's a but bit... maybe that works, I don't know. Well, I don't know, sometimes they think, you know, if you wake up in the night and if you have a notebook by your bed or anything, you sort of jot something down or it's a dream and you want to jot it down. And then maybe you'll go back to it a couple of days later and you go, what was that all yeah. about? Why was I hysterical? Why was I crying about a piece <laughs> of bread? I don't... Yeah. What did that mean? Yeah. Apparently it meant something at the time so much that I had to write it down. Well, I left. I put a cup of tea, a half cup of tea, in the cupboard the other day next to the rice. That's just. And age. my boyfriend found it. Do you think that's age? I, I've I've gone to get I've gone to put things in the fridge before that do not belong in a fridge. Yeah, but a half cup of tea in a cupboard. I don't know. I don't, I, I get the fridge thing. Or maybe I'm just trying to be unique and say that a half cup of tea <laughs> in a cupboard is more interesting than. I haven't heard of a half cup of tea in, in a cupboard before. That is a good one. Did, when With did two he, spoons in it? Two, was it? Was it two spoons of Canard? <laughs> did, did did you catch yourself on when you put in the cupboard? Or no, you... I I didn't find it. Oh, My really? boyfriend found it. it. Was like there's a half cold brew in the cupboard, and I was like, oh, so it wasn't one of those things where you went to do it and then you went, what am I doing? Put no. half a brew in the cupboard? No, 
I know. Right, Margaret Thatcher. That's a couple of years of therapy right there. I, think. I know. Definitely. <laughs> I haven't told the sleep therapist yet. Oh, you've got to tell her She's going to charge me so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, primary school? Primary school, I don't really remember except I was bullied by a teacher. That's That I, that I know because that's a story that we tell in our family. Um, when you say you don't remember, do you, do you feel that you maybe block that out? Or... I've got, like, I don't know about you, but I've got black spaces in my memory. Got hu- I've got huge black spaces, but I also think, not that this is about me, but I know that I've probably blocked certain things out. Yeah, maybe. Because I've wanted to. Yeah. And now I've blocked them out so much that they have become those sort of black holes. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't like school. I didn't like, at primary school I was in York, actually. Oh, so you'd moved? Yeah, we moved around quite a lot. We never stayed in the same place for very long. So I was born in Morley, primary school in York, back to middle school, because there was middle school then. I mean, my son was saying to me the other day, that's an old thing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> that you had middle school, that's your age, isn't it? But is that a northern thing or? Middle school? I Did you have might... middle school? No, I just had primary and then. Okay, maybe that's just a Leeds thing then, a, Wes- I... a Wesley thing. Maybe it's a Yorkshire thing. Um, so I went to middle school for a couple of years. And then I went to, um, well, it was a state school with a performing arts, um, sort of uh, 30 pupils a year did um, in, in the year. See, see, this is my Antonio now. I, I can't even make sense. <laughs> when, it when, sense. When, 30 pupils in each year yeah. did a performing arts course. So, yeah, 30 of us were either the worst kind of kids or the... Or, or probably the best. Well, or, or maybe a bit of I both. think that's a really bad idea, actually, because it's it's sort of separating you immediately, isn't it? Yeah. Because I, I didn't want to be one of the performing arts kids. I wanted to be one of the the cool kids. Well, how, well we all want to be cool, Rebecca. Yeah, I know, you know still, that's, still. That ship sailed for, for a few <laughs> of us. I think you'll be all right. Um, when did the, the drama start? So I was a child actor. Not personally, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> when did it, that, when will it end that's is the still, question. That's still going on, obviously. <laughs> Um, when did you, yeah, when, when, what age were you a child actor? So I started ballet because I was a poorly child. Honestly, really, everything I'm going to say to you, you're going to be like, is this Betty Davis? <laughs> I was a poorly child. I was a blue baby. So right. I was um, weak. Um, so my mum sent me to dance class. They said it would be, you know, it would be healthy. Yeah. yeah. So I went to ballet and then, um, and then I was spotted in a dance big dance sort of school show, whatever. Um, and then I did my first job when I was eight, TV job, and got my equity card. How did you feel about that? I don't really. Did, did, it, did you say, I probably didn't even think about it, did you? Probably just another bit of fun. You're an eight-year-old kid. Yeah. I often think that about because my son, my youngest son, did a few auditions and wanted to be an actor for about four minutes and now doesn't want to. He's ten. Um, I should be at the park. Having fun. Yes, I thought you meant the park theatre. <laughs> no, <I'm, laughs> it should be the park doing soliloquies. I'm not that theatrical. Um, no, just go and bum around the park. Yeah, he. Yeah, he, I mean, both my boys are mad into football, so our whole weekends are about football anyway. But yeah, for, he went for a couple of auditions because he wanted to try it out. But he, he wasn't. He's quite disenchanted by it now. I think. Yeah, a friend of mine's uh, son was bang into the acting thing for ages and eventually did a little stint in Matilda. Danny Mays from the podcast. Yeah. Two short podcasts. Yeah. I don't know if he, he probably said this on the podcast. He did, he? yeah. But then after a while he was 
yeah, by the end of it, he just didn't want to know. Yeah. He wasn't bothered about it. I think that's a, that's maybe a good way to... Because I, I, I didn't want to do is say to my son, no, you're not doing it. Yeah. Because look how... Well, in a way, you have, to, you have to be supportive, but if yeah. if they want to do it, let them get it out of the system yeah. if they want. Yeah. But if they want to carry on doing it and they've still got a passion for it and they're really fantastic, then, you know, I, I would never discourage my son from doing it. No. But then again, nor would I... Encourage. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely not. No. I agree. I agree. So I don't, I don't remember whether I wanted to do it or not, but I know... I know that I found it quite stressful quite quickly. I remember being in something when I was about 10 and I remember the director had said to my mum, she needs to stop blinking. All she does is blink and, you know, if she carries on blinking, it's going to be a problem. And I remember being in the toilets with my mum and discussing this. And she was like, you've got to stop blinking. And um, the more, obviously then I couldn't stop blinking. Like I was blinking. Because you were really and, conscious about it. Yeah. Um, but being being worried that I was going to get sacked because I was blinking too much. Right. Which I don't think is... a a good thing for a child to be worrying about. No. And now, still, whenever I watch myself in something, I'm like, you can't stop blinking. No, oh, really, still now? <laughs> Counting the blinks. That bastard director. That bastard blinking. Not... <laughs> blinking. Let's pop that on the therapy list right now. Yeah. He's, he's, he's down there. But this is, you weren't, this isn't something that was, you weren't pushed into this by your mum, were you? This no. was something that no, you were No, I was definitely at. like... I was always singing and always dancing. And I'm not I suggesting was... your mum was a pushy mum, by the way. No. <laughs> I'm just saying because obviously because she was an actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I liked it because my mum did it and I found it all quite um, appealing. Mm. You know, there was lots of... My mum was always in stuff and I was always going to see stuff. And, I, you know, I was enchanted by it. But, um, but I, yeah, I because of that, I don't have any other skills, I don't think, because of, I was acting when I was at school. I did really badly in my GCSEs, but I didn't also care because I was like, well, I've got a job, so that's what I'll do. And it's only years later when, you know, you become out of work and you're in your late 30s and you're like, oh, so what are we going to do now then to earn money? How right, am I going to do oh, that with yeah. two kids? You know that plan B that I said? Yeah. Yeah, that's not yeah. going to happen. So I got a U, like, a, for example, I got a U in GCSE maths. Yeah, I think I was... I don't even think I finished it. I don't think I even turned up for that. I know, it's terrible. Rebel. But, but this isn't about... I was not rebel, but this isn't about me. Okay. <laughs> I failed... I, I passed my dance, GCSE, and my two English ones. Right. But I failed drama. <clears throat> can you believe it? No, I can't believe it. <laughs> not, not you, but yeah, I can't believe it because you were obviously preoccupied with working. Well, also, I had this duality of wanting to... Being an, a child actor at school was very exposing, you know, immediately. You, you kind of want to be invisible a bit at school. And do, you, do you know what I mean I by did, that? I was going to say, how how did that affect other people and your friends or, indeed, people who weren't your friends? Because yeah. if they'd seen you on the telly, I mean, like, oh, uh, God, it's the, probably the worst thing yeah. in the world. I can't... I mean, we I, there was no child actors when I was growing up at school, so we never no. really had that, but... Bullying's rife and kids can be yeah. horrible little bastards anyway. So. so I wanted to be I wanted to be an actor, but I also wanted to be sort of so far removed from that and just, you know, I mean, I did hang out at the shops and, you know, smoke cigarettes and don't do, smoke kids. Um, do do the things that yeah. normal kids so do. Sort of, yeah. so, so I think with drama as well, even though I was an actor and I was on telly, I also didn't, 
drama at school, like, I find, you know, my eldest has just started secondary, and I think drama, you want to... If you're, you know, being all big and stuff in drama, you are immediately out there. So I wanted to hide in, in, in drama, which is probably why I, I failed, because it was embarrassing. Like, you don't want to put yourself out there or do yeah. silly things that make you look like a big head as well, like... Yeah, and probably you're just scared of being judged. Yeah. Because oh, they'll probably see me on the telly what they're going to think. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you're a child. Yeah. And you, everything's, your body's going through loads of changes, your mind's going through loads of changes. You don't really need to heap all that pressure on yourself. No. So what, after GCSEs, what were you, where did you, what did you plan on doing? Did you just plan on carrying on working or? Well, I went to college for a year. Whereabouts? Uh, Salford, Adelphi. Oh, did you? Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, amazing year that was, amazing year. And were you still um jobbing were you still no I wasn't did you stop that and focus in, in Salford yeah but I mean I was bad I was bad at I, you know, I, I am I am quite I'm not good at focusing and studies and things like that I, I've not got I don't know whether it, I mean I think I've always had a bit of a sleep problem um so my focus is bad it's always wavering um, in what way do you think that I couldn't apply myself so if you're focusing on one thing, you'll do a bit of that, but then you need to turn a corner and try something else. Yeah, or, or just lessons and just homework and things like that. I just couldn't, maybe I just couldn't be asked, but I just couldn't apply myself. You don't come across to me as a, a lazy person. And I've met a few. So I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have thought it was that. But I, I'm not, you know, that's just from a, an outsider's point of view. Well, it, maybe it's just a focus thing then. Or, or you know, just just studying. I found that. I just found it so boring, which is an awful thing to say, really, isn't it? But um, Well, no, but did you feel that Maybe you it's because wanted... I was always coming out. So I could never really... I never felt like I had a real sort of go at anything because I was always coming out, doing something. And then you're in there and, you know, everybody's done all sorts of different work and you're way behind. I don't know, but I didn't, I didn't like education. And in... college was different because it was fun. And I what felt more of... like a grown-up. What kind of stuff were you doing there? Um, I remember doing a video, uh, a dance with my friend. I've got it on video, which is why I said video. A dance with my friend to Sweet Dreams by um, Eurythmics. Sweet, Sweet Dreams are made of this? Yeah, and it was quite, we got told off because it's quite sexual. Was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like pushing boundaries, me and my mate sort of. Um... Come on, we're just expressing ourselves, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, me and this girl, Emma, um, yeah, we got quite told off for that because um, it was just a bit too much pushing boundaries. <laughs> um, but then I got um, uh, the borrowers. So I, I left after a year. I probably wouldn't have passed anything anyway. I would have failed everything, I would imagine. Um, and um, Did you leave because of the length of period of time of filming? Yeah. And you, you had to make the decision? Yeah. So I went to London and I never, I never came back. I basically stayed in London from being 16. So you were still auditioning when you were in Salford then, obviously, if you got the borrowers, or did they just I think that knocking? was one that just was particularly exciting. Um, well, that's I, part of loads of people's childhoods, the borrowers, yeah. wasn't it? It was yeah. such a, a big thing. Not that we just we really talk about jobs on the podcast, but I think it's quite integral in this because I don't think we've had anybody on... I think I'm right in saying this. Producer Griff will back me up. If we've had anybody on that has been a child actor from from the age of eight, Joe Gilgan was a coronation. Of course, Joe, Joe Gilgan was it. But yeah, he stopped and started though, didn't yeah. he? Um, 
So how did you feel going to London and starting this, this big job? Being only 16 years old. I wasn't old. scared in any way. Of course you're not whatsoever. 16. No, yeah. I was like, I look back at myself at 16 and I just, I'm, I'm obviously completely different to then. Like I'm an anxious, nervous mess now. And then I just had boundless confidence. Yeah. Um. So I did that. And then I got another job in London, so I stayed and did that. And then I did the second series of The Borrowers, and then I was doing a play at the same time. Oh, my God. So I was doing a play at night and The Borrowers during the day. And how old are you now, then? Sort of 17. 17. Yeah, and I did um, Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, completely untrained as well, because I didn't, like, I had no... Uh, Where was that? Where was Romeo and Juliet on? At um, Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. I remember that. Yeah, I do remember Shouting. that. Shouting. Um, did you lose your voice? I didn't, actually. No, I didn't. I I was, um, yeah, I was invincible, I think. I, I felt, yeah. I, I would, I look at myself then and how I behaved because I was a quite a party animal when I was younger and I really wish I'd cherished it because I didn't. You know, I wasn't nervous. I didn't warm up. I didn't sort of think about what I was doing. I know I was 17. 17 and you hadn't, I mean, you'd, you'd sort of learnt stuff on the job, obviously. But was that your first, that wasn't your first play, that was it? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. So, so that was a whole new set of skills that you had to acquire for Regent's yeah. Park, especially there. And I don't think it was really mic'd back then, in the 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> no, but even even though now, I mean, when I worked there, still, you have to work so hard on the voice yeah. there. Like yeah, a, I mean, I was doing one show. There were three shows going on. I was doing one, but like I said, I was doing the borrowers during the day. But for anybody, that's a heavy workload. Filming yeah. in the day, and you know, one of the leads in a Shakespeare play at Regent's Park. For, yeah. But for a seventeen-year-old. Yeah. But of course, you had boundless energy. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I remember, like Judy Dench was directing it, and she didn't. She wanted me to wear a bonnet in the first scene. And um, Juliet's obviously 13, and I, I didn't wear the bonnet. I mean, now I think, Juliet told you to wear a bonnet the and you won't wear it. on you, Callard. <laughs> I won't wear that bonnet. I was like, I, I'm not walking on stage looking like a 13-year-old. But you are supposed to be 13. 13 yeah. you know, I was too aware of what I looked like, and, you know, I wanted my initial entrance to be, you know, ooh, 17-year-old girl. I didn't... That's what I mean. That, like, now I would... Now I'm so... I think so much more about the art of it. And then I just was like, well, I don't want to look silly, so I'm not wearing a bonnet. But that, that that's fine, though, isn't it? I guess. I mean, we're all, we're not the people we were when we were 16 or No, 17. but I do see a lot of child actors now, and I think, wow, they are so much more grown up and mature and well-behaved. Yeah, but sometimes I see child actors and go, oh, please, why are you, t- you're too grown up. Just be a child. Yeah. You don't yeah, want, that's true. You don't need to come and look around the monitor and look at that scene. <laughs> no. One, that's not your job, and two, you, come on. Yeah. It, it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit, is what I'm saying. Only yeah. sometimes, and this is not a... Yeah. It's quite a sweeping statement. I'm not saying all child actors like that, but certainly a few that I've worked with, and I've worked with some incredible ones too, but... Yeah, me too, actually, me too. Some amazing ones. Um. So... So, where were we? Ah, Regent's Park. So, after Regent's Park... You finished that, so that's towards the end of the I turned 18 summer. in the middle of that. Right. And then, yeah, I just stayed um, in London working. And, I mean, I had it planned to go home. I didn't plan to leave home at 16, I don't think. But then I just never did. So I continued working. I, I, was quite, I worked quite a lot until I got to my mid-20s. And then there was a bit of a dive, I think, for me. 
I um, I used to get everything that I went for as well because there was nobody was coming out of drama school. I was playing so much younger, so yeah. there was you know I used to get a lot of things that I went for. And then you get to your mid twenties and people are coming out of drama school and they're trained and they're so then you're competing. With you're competing those. with them and they're fresh and you've been around and everyone knows you. And um, yeah, so I think yeah, work stopped a bit. And I remember an agent saying to me actually when I when I left. Um, I remember him saying to me, it's like changing the deck chair on the Titanic for you. Um, You're going down. Wow, wow, wow. Um, And I think as well, because I've always looked, I mean, I don't, I actually don't think I look that much younger anymore. Like for a long time, I looked a lot younger and now it's just all the kids and the sleep deprivation. It's all like etched on my face now. Do you mind me asking how old you are? No, I'm proud of it. I'm 42. You do not look 42. Thanks. Come on. I think I'm... Do you see, you I'm one see, of those I'm actors 41. with shit teeth and bad, L- bad at, skin. Look at my sleep crease. Do you see it? It looks like I've got a big scar down my face. That's yeah, but it's all right for dudes. Oh, my God. It's I'm so fine. not a dude. My God, I look like a haggard old bloke. You really don't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm definitely, like, I'm still not having Botox and I'm still not having my teeth oh my done God, and I'm just, no. like, clinging on to that. But I'm definitely one of the last actresses with, with wrinkles and bad teeth, I feel like. I don't think you've got bad teeth. I've got bad teeth, I have. You haven't? I've got oh teeth like sweet God. corn. If this was a video podcast, come on, you do not. I've seen Close bad Close up teeth. on the sweet corn teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the tea that I drink. Um, so, when... Did you ever feel... Oh, actually, even though I've been working for so long, I've learnt so much. Was there a point where you thought, maybe I should go and get some more training or try a different route of training or go to drama school or was there any point yeah, had, at that point? I had wished that I'd gone to drama school because there's just, there's, there's just big gaps in my knowledge. I don't know plays. I don't know them. I know the plays that I've done. Um, and people would sit around talking about, oh, have you read this and have you read that? And I'd be like, yeah, it's an amazing play. And think, oh, I haven't read that. Yeah. Um, just to feel that you could fit in, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Um... And I think sort of what was good is that the TV sort of all stopped when I was in my 20s. And then I sort of really went and, and learnt my craft, really, I think. And I went off to Leicester Haymarket and did um, The Crucible and stuff like that. And I did a lot of theatre. And and I was always, having done Juliet, then not done anything for years, I was quite scared of theatre. Yeah. Um, it's a scary thing when really you're going to scary. I mean, I had stage fright when I was 28 and that was terrifying. Tell and me it about took that. Me so I was doing As You Like It um, in America and I'd done it. I'd done it for about a year and it was great. I really enjoyed it. And then we had a bit of a break, a six months break. And then we went back off and went to, we did it in New York. We did it at BAM um, in Brooklyn. We did it in um, LA at the Armisen for 11 weeks, which is incredible. I mean, talk about jobs. It was amazing. Yeah. Like a beautiful place to work. Obviously an amazing play. Brilliant actors. And then we moved to San Francisco and we were in San Francisco for five weeks and, and having done this play for two years, all of a sudden, I just, before I went on, I was like, I don't think I know my lines. And once it was in there, it just yeah. didn't go. Oh my God. And I was going on, I was on stage, the lines were coming out of my mouth, my ha- hands were covered in sweat, I was terrified. And I was playing Celia in As You Like It, who's like the comedy sort of, um, yeah. oh, here's another quirky line. And I'd, my line would come out and the audience would laugh. And it was almost like a nightmare. It was like, ah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm terrified. 
And I, I just really convinced myself I didn't know my lines and I'd had to, I mean, I knew them inside out. Yeah. I don't know whether that was, I don't know where it came from or, or why it came, but I was terrified. And I spent five weeks going on stage in San Francisco every night. Did he stuck around terrified. for five weeks? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, every night going on thinking this this is the night where the whole show stops. I mean, it's it sounds awfully self-indulgent as well, isn't it? And self-obsessed to be that frightened that you think everything is about you. But that's how I felt. Well, no, being, once that paranoia gets in, it's like once you say, once yeah. that goes in, once that thought goes in. Or it's like that director saying, oh, you know, can you stop blinking? What, what was I blinking? Yeah. What, what was I, I doing? I blinking now. Or it's a bit like some, uh, somebody saying... You know that bit where you did that when you did that it was brilliant. What what bit did I do? Yeah. What and then? You, oh, well, I can't do that. Don't again tell now. me that yeah. something was good because I'm you know, I'm just worried you know, about I'm it. Recreating. It's not self indulgent. It's just because we care and, and we worry. But that your stage fright, what you're saying there that lasted five weeks, is what so much bigger than the dream. You know the dream where you walk on stage and you go, I don't know my lines, and you yeah. literally don't know your lines. Oh, I was genuinely living that. Yeah. Living that. Feeling. And then some. I Standing mean, in the wings, covered in sweat, thinking, I can't do it, I can't remember my lines. And I'd get through the first act and the relief, and then the the relief of the end of the play every night was was huge. But then the whole days, I would be thinking, well, you know, it's ten hours away and I'm probably going to forget my lines, eight hours away. And I even went back over my script, I actioned everything because I never learnt to action things. Right. Because I didn't go to drama school and I'd, I didn't know that. Everything I did, I turned up, I said my lines, that was it. That's what I'd done since I was a kid. So I thought maybe if I have an, an intention on every line, I'll be able to... And I did know them, but I just convinced myself I didn't. Yeah. And then I sort of lost the meaning of what I was saying and some of them were in prose and some of them was in iambic pentameter and I was like I don't know you don't know what you're saying that's what you know it was it was oh it wasn't great God. do you not talk to another member of the cast or somebody about it um I didn't actually I, I actually there was um I met a girl on the job who I'm still really good friends with um uh she she was in the company I had told her but I didn't really the awful thing was I just didn't want to I just didn't want to sort of uh, acknowledge it because I just felt like it was taking over and then by the end of the play, I was uh, I was doing another play straight after. And then I was actually pregnant with my son, so I didn't do that play. Right. And I was quite relieved, actually, because I thought, I can't put myself through this again. Because you thought it would have carried on. I just thought it was there forever. I don't know how I actually got through those performances. I mean, I did sort of start to mess my lines up. Not that the audience would notice, but sort of, you know, my brain was like... And it was... My brain was so loudly saying, you're going to mess your lines up, and you're going to mess your lines up, that... Of course, my mind was sort of like, I can't remember my lines because yeah. you are talking at yourself. Yeah. Like you are worthless and you can't now remember it because your brain is so muddied with I this mean, negative stuff. It, it, things like that can snowball and get yeah. terrifying because then you, you know, sometimes you have to start questioning your own health mentally. Yeah. And then that becomes another worry. Yeah. I have conquered it though. So far, like maybe I'll come back now. I've talked about it. Um, no, because I've never spoken about it. Certainly, you know, my close friends will know about it, but I don't. I always thought it was a weakness as well. And people would think, oh, well, she's flaky. You can't, you know, you can't employ her because she, you know, she might get stage fright again. Um, but I, so I had my, my sons, both of my sons, and then I got a small part in a job at the Royal Exchange with, um, Matthew Dunster. And, um, 
and went back on and didn't tell anybody, oh, this is my first, this is my return since <laughs> I massively lost my shit. Yeah. Um, am I allowed to swear? You can say whatever the fuck you like. Okay, brilliant. Um, but yeah, that was, and it was a good way to get back into it actually because I really, also I'd had my children, so there had been nights where I hadn't slept, obviously, um, at all and it was tiring and that, you know, it was stressful and there was toys everywhere. And, and how old were your sons when you went back to the theatre? So Sonny was, so Sonny was nearly three and George was, was nearly one. God. I mean, they're, they're quite young for you to get back. Yeah. To and work. I took them with me. Up to uh, Manchester. Up north, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, had I been playing a massive part, I don't, I don't know how actors do these huge roles with young kids. I really take my hat off to them because I just, I think because I don't sleep that much anyway, I just, I just think I'd forget my lines. I mean, I think that anyway, obviously, because <laughs> of what happened. But, um, but you know, you'd have, how long was the break between As You Like It and going back to work with Dunster? Um, so it was three, three years. Three, three years. years. It's a long time. Yeah, it is. But um, one of, fortunately, one of my characters, because uh, I played um, Lady Macduff and a witch, and the witch was mute. So. Good. <laughs> Great. What a blessing. Perfect. And he didn't even know about that. It's not like I said, <laughs> you actually, ever, you know what? Have you ever talked to Matthew about it? No. He doesn't know? No. He will when he hears this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness she was mute, so I didn't have... Um... But I did have to... Um, he did... I mean, he's an incredible director, isn't he? And he did yeah. make... He, I did have to mirror a speech that um, Lady Macbeth said. Do you mind me saying that? No. Good. Um, and sort of say it at the same... T- so it, it was like a, I was feeding it to her... I think I said it first before her, or maybe I said it after her, but I did have to say one of her speeches. But it was fine, I yeah. did it. And and I've done theatre since then. Quite, quite, I've done quite a lot of jobs at the Royal Exchange, and it hasn't come back. I mean, I haven't played Hamlet. And I've, but I don't think it was... It might not be the size of the part. I think it was probably just that instance. And also, you've been doing As You Like It for, as you say, like two years, really? Yeah. It's a hell of a long time to be doing it. I think the gap as well, you know, maybe the gap, I don't know, not that I'm saying if you're an actor and you're in a play and you have six months off, you won't be able to remember your lines. I don't know, but... But I if don't boredom know doesn't set in, then something else has yeah. got, it's got to manifest yeah. itself in some ways. And maybe that was just that specific time yeah. and you should put to bed and it'll never come back. Yeah. But even if it does, then you probably know how to deal with it a bit better. Yeah, I think so. I remember a, a really good friend of mine John McMillan, who's an actor, said to me, pretend to be brave. And I know that sounds like a tiny little soundbite that is easier you know, said than done, but it really helped me that. And I, I used to sort of um, say it to myself a lot. Actually, my son said to me this morning, when I, my 12-year-old, who is dry, as dry can be, he said to me, uh, are you doing that podcast today? And I said, yeah. And he said, how many times do you think you'll say this? Two shall pass. <laughs> <laughs> we should get him on. He sounds like a, a Bobby Dazzler. <laughs> really made me laugh that. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm just a walking soundbite of sort of a pick-me-up, pick-me-up um, little phrases. Well, we all need pick-me-up little phrases, don't this we? This two shall pass, Sonny, this two shall pass. There we go, twice, I'm sure. <laughs> we've, got all, we've got a long way to go. We can fit it in again, I'm sure. So where are we now? Back at the exchange? Yeah. So I did, uh, yeah, did a few jobs there. And then I think after I had my boys, I felt less, mm, not manic about acting, but less certainly less ambitious. There would be a period in my 20s where I'd go and see films 
and I'd be like, why didn't I go up for that? Or I'd see something on telly, why wasn't I? What, what, what's wrong with me? What, why? And as soon as I had my boys, I just was like, oh, it's so nice to be here in a cinema. I used to go to that baby cinema, you know, where you take your yeah, baby yeah, and yeah. all the babies are screaming. Yeah. And I'd just be like, it's so great to be here watching a film and appreciating it and appreciating the actor rather than thinking, why, why am I not good enough to be playing that part? It's just so, but, but just letting that before, go. It's, you know, once the children come along, it ceases to be about you anymore. Yeah. It's about them. Yeah. So your perspective has changed not only as a person, but also as an actor. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe because I felt, I don't know, like maybe I was more chilled, but work started to gather again for me after I'd had the boys. Also, I don't know whether I started to look my age as well because I was always competing with so actresses that were so much younger than me and and in a way that it wasn't right really because I wasn't that young yeah um and you know more knowing or whatever and um so I mean there were a lot of jobs I didn't do when I had the boys because um I didn't want to be away from them I, I find still that's hard isn't it to juggle yeah. that yeah it's really hard because my son started secondary school in September and I said to my agent I cannot because I was he actually went for an induction day in his secondary school and I was away filming and he FaceTimed me and we talked about it and it was scary for him. He didn't know anybody at his new secondary school. So, and I was on set FaceTiming him and I was like, what, why am I not there with him? And... Because the guilt the kicks guilt. in, doesn't it? This is when he needs me yeah. at secondary school. What am I doing? What, why what am, am I, I here? Why am I dressing up? Yeah, dancing around. But also, you know, we've all got bills to pay. We've yeah, got mortgage exactly. to pay. You know, we're not yeah. in a situation where... Work just gets thrown all the time. No. And you, can, you know, pick and choose. And also, a few years ago, I did have... Um, so, I think it was about four years ago, just... I was just... Work had just totally stopped for me. Nothing was for coming how in. long for? Um, was it a big chunk of time? Yeah, it felt like it, I think. I don't know how long it was, but I was really skint. And, um, and I wasn't working. And fortunately, a friend of mine who's an actor, she... She had got a job that was full on in a soap. She needed a nanny. She had a son. I needed some work. So we did this amazing uh, exchange and I worked for her. And actually, I was really skinny. I was dragging my kids three miles up this hill to uh, where she lived. She lived three miles away from me and looking after her somebody. It was, it was a really special time, actually. And I did find, having thought that there is nothing else I can do, that I really enjoyed nannying. And I would like to do that. I did sort of look into doing that for a while, but you can't be. How can I be a nanny and then say, oh, sorry, I can't come tomorrow. Yeah. I've got a voiceover. I let your entire world down, your precious child down by not turning up. So it, it's not something that fits in with um, auditions and stuff like that. But um, I Have did you... that for a while. And then I actually got a theatre job back at the exchange and went off and did that. And I remember finishing that on the Saturday night and going back to work for her on the Monday. But it was great because her... One of my sons is her godson, and she she was out all hours, so she really needed somebody that she loved and trusted to be there with her son, and I really needed the work and yeah, the money. Yeah, of course. And it was something I could take my boys to, so it fit in with their... I'd pick them up from school, we'd all go up to her house. Um, and I did that for uh, over a year, maybe 18 months, and then I think after that I got um, a job at the BBC and things have not really stopped for me since then. I'm also really lucky in that I do a lot of voiceovers and I think I would would all be in the gutter if it wasn't for my voiceovers. Yeah, they do help when when everything is in a dark place and all of a sudden you get that call and you go, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. 
But have you ever thought about completely stopping? Uh, what in any dark times have you thought? You know what? Enough's enough. Uh, I, this I've just it's run the course for me. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, in my twenties when I'd stopped working, I was like, "What am I doing?" and I mean, I do love it, and I do now think, since I've had my boys as well, it's a real privilege, and stuff that I might have been snobby about when I was younger, I'm not doing that, you know. Now I just think is a gift. Yeah. I really do. Being on set, it's it's a, a fun environment, and I always love being around the crew and the cast, so I do feel like every job that I do now is... I do appreciate it more now. Um, but obviously now I have this other new skill that I've suddenly found that maybe I can do a bit that um and where did that come from of course we're talking about writing where when did you when did that when you put pen to paper and thought you know I've got something to say or I need to tell this story well I wrote a novel but didn't finish it so wrote half a novel in my 20s I wrote a series with funnily enough with this actress whose son I was looking after we wrote something we made a pilot for it actually as well by ourselves um about child actors she's she's a child actor as well ageing child actors right. who aren't working anymore and so all the different jobs we'd done and uh, I think we'd written this this one scene where we were QVC elves at Christmas because she's really short like me as well um, and so we'd written it all down and we'd planned it all out and then um, extras came out and not, not that I'm comparing it to extras in any way it's, no, but, but it was similar sort you of, kind of felt it's... like a mockumentary type thing yeah, about right. the, the industry so we just left that. But we made this trailer called Magic and Sparkle and we actually got um, Dan Stevens. <laughs> you know, Dan yeah. Stevens. He actually came and filmed it for us and did that sort of the, the voiceover um, at the side of the camera. It's, it's quite funny. Um, we did it all in Sylvia Young. She, um, she let us film there and sort of... Well, we'll see if we can put a link to it on the podcast. <laughs> no, definitely not. Google, is it Google or is it on YouTube? No, it's no. not. No. I'll one day, s- we'll make it one day. We'll, Magic we'll, and Sparkle. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you at the end of the podcast, see if we can get that on as a little a little bonus <laughs> for Patreon members. So we wrote that, and then we wrote something else about two two women, one who had kids and was at a certain age, and the other one who didn't have kids and was at a certain age, and, you know, the contrasting lives. We didn't, we didn't do anything with that. And then I started, I had this idea from, from my play, um... But you'd never written a, a theatrical piece before? No. No. Daunting? No I, no, I just really enjoyed it. Wow. And I felt, I just loved getting into the world of it. And, and obviously, you know, getting up in the night, not sleeping, something to do. Um, and getting trains to work and stuff like that. Um, but I, I entered it as, um, I just sort of was hoping, because I knew about the Bromwood because I'd done a play, a Bromwood play. This is the Bromwood Prize that's in conjunction with the Royal Exchange, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I'd done that. My friend Andy Sheridan won that with his play and I did his play. Which was Winterlong. Winterlong. Yeah. Winterlong? Winterlong. Winterlong. Or as you would say, Winterlong. I would say Winterlong. <laughs> Winterlong. Winterlong. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, that's a remarkable play. Yeah. Probably my favourite play. Contemporary. How lovely. Um, apart from... <laughs> <laughs> apart from all the other ones. All the other ones. <laughs> no, it is. It's a brilliant play. And um, who, When you'd finished it and you were happy with it, who was the first person to read it? I think it might have been Andy Sheridan. Um, Do you remember what he said to you? 
yeah, he told me to be. He like he said he liked it, and it was it was it gave me some nice things, and but he said to sort of like stop wanking on a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't quite say it like that, but I knew that's what he meant. He probably might have done. Yeah, maybe he did, yeah. but he just wanted me to sort of be more concise in, with it in a loving way. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, because obviously with me being an actor, I think I tend to sort of um, keep keep waffling. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I just thought, well, I'll enter it into the Bruntwood. I missed the first year. It's every two years now. And then I entered it and I entered my first draft thinking, you know, they'd give me some script notes, tell me what I was doing wrong. And what did they say? And then it was, all of a sudden it was on, it was the 27th of September or whenever it was, the 24th, and it was, you know, the the list was published of the top 100. And I was on the phone to my friend who has been a huge part of, this process with me she's been really poorly for the last few years so I've been going to visit her and been writing my play on the train to her and um she's uh yeah she's been there talking to me about it for a long time and then so I was on the phone to her and I was like shall I just have a look while I'm on the phone to you and she was like oh yeah have a look and then because it was alphabetically it was like second or third it was there and I said it's there it's there it's on the website and I was like oh maybe it's the plays that haven't got through oh maybe it's that these are the terrible plays <laughs> that no one will ever look at again so she said get off the phone look at it properly and call me back and then I got off the phone and I looked and it was on there and then I think within 24 hours they called me now I do have this is the truth, and Andy Sheridan knows this, and only a couple of other people know this, and I know it sounds like a lie, but this is the truth. No, so, this is a very truthful open on this podcast. So the next morning, I was waiting for a sofa to be delivered. I hadn't had a sofa for three weeks. Um, and as I was sort of looking out of the window, I looked at, went over to my bookshelf, and I saw Winterlong, like, there it was. So I picked it up, and I opened it, and I read the inscription from Andy Sheridan, what it said. And then um, my phone rang. And I answered it. And there was a van outside and I thought maybe it was the um, the people delivering my sofa, but it was the Bruntwood people. And they said, can you reveal your identity? You're on the top ten list. And I was holding Andy Sheridan's oh play. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. It's really the truth. My boyfriend was there so he can um, attest to that. Is that the right word? I should use right words when I'm a writer. No. I know, but I know what you mean. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody else Invest knows what you mean. That. That's brilliant. How did that feel? Yeah, that was incredible. I, I was just... It's the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me, apart from the birth of my children. Because it's really exposing your... putting your story and your words down and your yeah. giving it to somebody else. Yeah. But I did feel intense fear and terror as well. Like, oh, no, no, no. This is bad. I'm going to get exposed here as an imposter. I'm not a writer. This is just a trick somehow. This This is a mistake. Do you never feel like that as an actor? As I feel an like imposter? that all the time about yeah. everything within yeah. my life. Everything yeah. I do, I feel like I'm an imposter. You know, sometimes I look at my children and they're obviously as tall as me now. And I'm like, how am I your mum? I'm just a <laughs> kid. Like, <laughs> I'm just faking this whole thing of life. How am I But it is like teaching you stuff? It's like in anything, you're right. Being a parent and you're you know, constantly worrying, going, oh, I'm sure that's he's a better father than me or yeah. she's a better mother or am I doing this yeah. right? Yeah. How can they just give you this child and there's no book? There's no yeah. instruction manual. You put it in your car <laughs> and you drive it right? home and you're like, what? Are they eating enough? Are they eating the right yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Are they constant. eating enough? Are they eating too much? Are they, yeah. Constant My son went to school today in just a gilet with no gloves on and it is freezing today. And I was just like, I'm going to worry about this all day. Yeah. Um, just a gilet, that makes me sound like a dick. <laughs> just a gilet. Just a gilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, I guess. 
And do you feel a constant need? Did you Was there a need to be creative and a need to write the play or was it just something you wanted to tinker about with? Well, honestly, I... Because um, such great things have come from it now. Yeah, it's, it's a very honest, personal, real story, I think, and maybe that's why it's done okay. Maybe that's why, because it is quite personal to me. I... Um, my... My children's dad and I are not together. We've been uh, separated for nearly seven years and we have custody, we share custody of our children. It's very amicable. We're best mates. I'm best mates with his girlfriend. He gets on really well with my boyfriend. We all spend Christmas together. Wow. We spend Sundays together. We hang out together. You know, it is amicable. There's no story there. It really is like that. Um, How fantastic for you and for your boys. Yeah. And for him that yeah. it is amicable because so many separations yeah. aren't. Yeah, and we, we, you know, I talk to his girlfriend on the phone, we chat about stuff and I would ask her for advice and she's a wonderful person and, yeah, it's um, it's all very idyllic and it really is like that. And I think it's efficient for the children and but it's also we all like each other. And, you know, we were married for 10 years and it, and it didn't work but it doesn't mean we're not best mates anymore. Yeah, of course. So, but there is a period where I, I'm not with my children and that that can be difficult. You know, I miss them, and and they and they have to be. Their dad is an incredible dad as well. He is doing a play at the moment, and my son's started secondary school, and he will drive over at seven o'clock in the morning and take him to school. And you know, there's not. I'm doing a play. I need my rest. You know, he's an amazing father actually. And um, I read his inscription that he wrote to my son for his tenth birthday today, and it was pretty wonderful. You know, having not had a, a father present, this this man is the total antithesis of that. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, some of the, some of my play came from, from that and exploring how that must feel, sort of, to not have your children at all, to have yeah. your children taken away from you, which is not my situation. But, you know, without adjustments in your life, it, it could be. Uh, we're all one step away from being some, uh, you know, something completely different, aren't we? Of course, yeah. Um, so I think there is a real there is a real feeling there in my play. It's not just oh I've invented this story and I'll. There is some real feelings of pain there or whatever. Um, Do you think any of anything from your play came from your childhood? Um, I don't know. My her my main character's father is very present and very. Um, that she's moved in with him, and it was only after thinking about it, I was like, oh, that's. That's interesting that I, they're so close and I've made them, you know, and she's she's about to turn 40, my main character, but she moves in with her dad and somebody pointed that out to me and I, it hadn't occurred to me. Subconscious, not subconscious. Yeah. So Unsubconscious, not subconscious. I don't know, we're using terrible words. Terrible words. It's a good job it's not a, an it's English language a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever think that you would... Push acting to the side and focus on the writing more. Is there a need for one more than the other? I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> I love acting, and I uh, I appreciate every job I get, and thank you for every audition I've ever had. But I I am um, because <laughs> you've cast me in everything. I have, yes. Um, but yeah, I'm really I'm writing another play at the moment, and um, there's a lot of interest about my play. And yeah, meeting lots of people to talk about different things for my play and it going into different areas and doing different things with it. But um, yeah, I'm writing my other play and I really, I really love it. 
You know, maybe I'll have a day where somebody says it's shit. Maybe it'll open and people will absolutely destroy it and say, who the fuck does she think she is? And then I won't want to be a writer anymore. And I'll be like, please, can you give me all the, all the acting jobs? But I, I, like I said about the nannying, you know, there is something else I can do. I'm not just um, waiting for the phone to ring for auditions, which I don't, I don't really do anyway. I mean, I do in terms of money and supporting my children. Yeah. But, um, yeah, maybe there is something else I can do. And it's already, I've already got some, some money for it. Like I won a prize. That's incredible. So I can, I, I've taken some time off for my son starting secondary school anyway, because as I said, their dad's in a play. We can't both be off doing stuff. No, and also that's a, that's an important time. Yes. In a, certainly in a boy's life, I can only say from boys, I know it's an important part for me, that yeah. transition yeah. from a different Absolutely. school. Absolutely. In a different area. Yeah, you've got to be there. Yeah, and he's, he's quite shy, my, my eldest as right. well. I mean, he's, like I said, he's dry and funny and brilliant, but, you know, on the outside, he's quite shy. Um, so I really want to be around. So this is sort of a bit of a dream for me, really, in that, you know, I can use the money that I want um, to sort of really concentrate on finishing my next play or, or at some point somebody's going to tell me to do a different draft of my my first play, I'm sure, because I managed to get away with sort of... Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm meeting an agent and I said, said to them it was my first draft and they were like, how did you submit your first draft? And I was like, I don't know, I just did and... There's loads of typos in it and stuff like that. Um, so I'll now concentrate on on that for a bit, I think. And, you know, I, I, to, be, to be honest, I haven't got any auditions coming up anyway. So it's not like I'm saying, hey, I'm not acting because uh, even though they really want me... <laughs> I'm just going to take I'm just some time gonna, out. I'm just going to take some time out to focus on my writing. Um, there's nothing coming up now anyway, so... Just and I really want on. to get a dog as well. Well, look, get creative, get a dog. I'm genuinely thrilled for you. Thank you. And you're so sparky and happy and it's brilliant. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And another one bites the dust. What about that? I I think Rebecca was worried at the end that um, she, uh, I think she said to me that oh, maybe I, I talked too much. I said it you can't talk enough on these things. It's brilliant, especially when what you're saying, if look, if you're talking a load of waffle and a load of rubbish, yeah, it's no good. But if you're talking stuff that means something to you, then it's going to mean something to us. And it really did. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on. And thank you for downloading and listening and hitting that subscribe button. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. If you do, if you did, if you do, if you did, um, leave us a comment, drop us an email. It's twoshotpod at gmail.com. You know where to find us on Twitter, at twoshotpod, on Facebook, Instagram, all that malarkey. And thank you so much for sending in your best of bits with your time codes. We've got a, a fantastic crop, and me and Griff are getting through those slowly but surely. So that will be with you next week. And until next week... Stay safe, take care, and we shall see you very soon. Thanks so much. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. <laughs>